This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Come with me, please, to the eighth book of the Old Testament, the eighth book, uh, which is the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is one of the most engaging, the most endearing of all of the Old Testament stories. Although it's over 3,000 years old now, it still has a lot to say to us today. And it speaks much of God's providence and God's provision for our lives. And it shows what God can do in the very darkest moments in our lives and how that he can turn things around for our good and for his glory. And it begins by telling us that it's set in the time of the judges. In fact, maybe we should read just the first few verses. First of all, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife, Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab, and they remained there. Now, the times of the judges was the most, one of the most turbulent times and periods in Israel's history. Joshua had died, and the generations that followed after Joshua had forgotten Joshua and cared little for Joshua's God. And so they had compromised, and they were worshiping other idols, and they were uh, mixing with the other pagan countries around them. And uh, the end result that those other nations were invading them And so you had defeat, you had invasion, you had servitude, you had civil war. In the midst of it, you had poverty. That was the overriding pattern. And then sometimes after maybe 40 years of servitude, they would cry unto God and repent. And God was gracious and good, and he would raise up a deliverer, a judge, if you will, somebody that would rescue them and fight against the Midianites or the Canaanites or whoever the match might be and deliver them. And then that would last a little while, and then that old pattern would repeat itself. They would get defeated, there would be invasion, there would be servitude, there'd be civil war, there'd be poverty, and that pattern lasted for several hundreds of years. And on top of all of that, there arose a famine in the land. And in the Old Testament, very often a famine was a sign of God's displeasure uh, with the nation. And so in this land of, of battles, and there was lots of battles that were happening, uh, this story of Ruth is set in barley fields. And so they're here, there's no clashing of swords, there's no charging of chariots, there's no arrays of armies against each other. It's just an ordinary family in very challenging times who made a wrong decision, a very poor choice that would change their lives forever. But in spite of that, in the end, that decision, though it was wrong and caused them great trouble and grief, yet in spite of all that, God turned all of that around and through that decision, in the end, became 
through the Messiah of Israel and the Christ of God and the Savior of the world. And so it's a wonderful, wonderful story indeed. Herbert Lockyer tells about Benjamin Franklin, that very famous American writer. He was ridiculed at one time in Paris for his defense of the Bible and was determined to find out how much of its scoffers uh, they had read of the Bible. And so he informed one of the learned societies that had come across a story of pastoral life in ancient times that seemed to him a very beautiful uh, story, but he would like the opinion of the society. And it was arranged for Franklin to read to the assembly of scholars a lyric which had impressed him. The Bible lover read the book of Ruth. And when he had finished, the scholars were in ecstasies and begged Franklin to print it. It's already in print, said Franklin. It's part of the Bible you ridicule. So there's lots of wonderful things in the Bible that people doesn't even know are there. And they're tremendous. And so the title of my message today is Ruth, Romance and Redemption. Bethlehem means house of bread. And here we see that there's no bread in the house of bread. Every church in the land should be a house of bread for God's people. It should be a place where people are fed the manna, the word of God. Sadly, it isn't. And for lots of churches, there's a famine in the house of bread. There's no bread in the house of bread. And so here they are. It's a difficult, challenging time for this family. They're a God-fearing family, but there's a famine. And not only that, and we'll see the reason why I say this later, but not only that, it was so bad that they, in the end, because they were agricultural people, this was their business, their livelihood, and in the end, they sold their land uh, because of probably debt, and they end up selling their land. So here they are, their meager resources is getting very low, and they make this decision to go to the land of Moab. You say, well, a man's got to make a living. But the Bible says, in him we live and we move and we have our being. And so a mistake was made here. Someone said that in the Old Testament that the provision and the promise of God were found in a place. But in the New Testament... The provision and promise of God for God's people are found in a person. The provision and promises of God in the Old Testament was Cana. The provision and promise of God in the New Testament are in Christ. One was in the land, the other is in the Lord. And so what they should have done, they should have trusted God in spite of the famine, in spite of the dire situation they were in, in this testing time, they should have said, God, no matter what happens, we are not going to leave the land. We're not going to leave the place of your promises for us. Now, I'm not condemning them for this because who knows what either you or I would have done in that situation. If our meager resources were running low and we were feeling hungry, maybe we would have made the same choice, but it was a wrong choice and it was to cause them a lot of problem. Well, what's wrong with Moab, you may ask? Well, Moab was a, a nation that was cursed by God. Uh, in the times of the Exodus, for instance, and we preached about that some weeks ago regarding Moses, 
whenever the children of Israel was coming to their land, they refused to help them. They refused to give them even food and water. And not only that, but the Moabites hired a so-called prophet from Mesopotamia to curse the children of Israel, would you believe? And God turned that around, and so whenever that old so-called prophet was going to curse the children of Israel, instead of cursings coming out of his mouth, blessings come out of his mouth, and he blessed the children of Israel. And he did this a few times. But in the end, even he, because of the promise of finances and money and gold and silver, uh, he gave them, he says, well, I'll tell you what to do if you want to hurt these people. Here's what to do. He says, get your most beautiful woman and tempt the men of Israel. And they tempted the men of Israel, and the men of Israel were tempted and fell to that temptation, and it caused them tons of trouble. And so God cursed them and said that the Ammonites and the Moabites could not join the congregation of Israel even unto the tenth generation. And let me take it back a little bit further before we go forward. Uh, the Moabites. In Genesis 19, you remember after God had said he was going to destroy Sodom because of the sins of the Sodomites, and how that uh, Lot, that righteous man who was living there, he vexed his soul daily, the Bible says, how he said to his family, his two sons-in-law, when he said, God's going to destroy us, the angel of God told me, they laughed at him, they thought it was a joke, but it was no laughing matter, it was going to happen, and it did happen. So only his two daughters and his wife and him escaped. But on the, on the way out of the city, Lot, his wife, turned back and looked back and was turned into a cut of salt. So there's only Lot and his two daughters survived that. And then horror of all horrors. These two daughters decided, well, there's only us two. There's no other family left. And who's going to... Who's going to continue on Lot's name after this? And so do you know what they did? They got their father drunk. The oldest daughter and the youngest daughter. They got their father drunk and they lay with their own father to have children with their own father. Can you believe that? That's in the Bible, Genesis 19. And the firstborn of that illicit union of the eldest daughter was called Moab. And so that's where the Moabites came from. And this youngest daughter, the son that came from that illicit relationship, was Ben-Ammai, which is where the Ammonites came from. And the Moabites and the Ammonites became the enemies, the ancient enemies of Israel, even to this day, where we read in the book of Ruth. So to go into Moab was a major, major mistake. Not only that, the Moabites were wicked people. Their chief god was Chemosh or Molech and Ashtaroth and the other gods. But this Chemosh and Molech, uh, this is how wicked they were. This was a great big, they made a great big metal statue of Molech. And it had the body of a man and the head of a bull. And on its lap, they built fires, red-hot fires, and they would take the firstborn of their children and sacrifice to Molech their babies, burned them alive. And Ashtaroth 
who was their fertility god, Ashtaroth, who was their fertility god, they ended up, many of their young children, their young women, ended up as temple prostitutes. So they were wicked people. So you can understand why God would not want them to go to Moab. You can understand why God was against the Moabites and why they should have destroyed the Moabites, but they didn't. And so they made this mistake, and they were going to pay for this mistake. But yet, in spite of it, God was going to turn it around. And at the end, there would be some great blessing. And so there they went. And it says, verse 3, Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now, what a blow that must have been to her. It's bad enough being a, a widow in Israel. It's difficult being a widow in those days. No national health service, no handouts. And if you had no family, you really were in serious trouble. So her husband died. So now she's a widow in Moab of all places. But at least her two sons are still left to nurture her. But look what happens. Now they took wives of the woman of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about 10 years. Now I'm sure Elimelech and Naomi, when they had their two boys, I'm sure their heart's desire would be that would marry young Hebrew girls. Because if they married young Hebrew girls and they had children, especially if they had boys, maybe one of the boys would be the Messiah that was promised. That would be their great hope and dream. But that hope and dream is long gone. Now they're in Moab, this pagan nation, and they have married these two pagan girls. So there's no hope of the Messiah to be born from this union. That's what she would be thinking, of course. And they dwelt there about 10 years. Then both Malon and Killian also died, so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. So within a space of 10 years, Naomi had lost her husband, and she had lost her two sons, and she had two weddings and three funerals in 10 years. And so it was just blow after blow after blow after blow. It was a very difficult time, a hard time that she was facing. We don't know why these three died. It doesn't say. We don't know how, what illness it was. The Bible just doesn't tell us. All of them, they died. And it says, Now there arose with her daughters-in-law, now she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. You know, Moab was only 50 miles away. And probably when they went there at the beginning, maybe, we don't know, but maybe in their minds they were thinking, do you know what, it's only 50 miles away. It's like two days' journey. And if things doesn't work out, we can always come home. Uh, but the trouble was that her husband and two sons was never coming home at the end of it. But here now they discover there's now bread back again in the house of bread. There's now a, a harvest. And so she felt, well, there's nothing here for me. I might as well go back. And so verse 8, And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. 
The Lord grant that he you may find rest each in the house of her husband. And so what she's telling in this is, look, go back. Don't, in her mind, she's thinking, you know, if they come back with me to Israel, uh, they can't be part of the congregation of Israel because they're Moabites. So the best thing for you to do would just go back and remarry. Marry Moabites. Marry your countrymen and and have a family because they had no family at this point. Have a family to them. So she says, just go back. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. Now that tells us very clearly that these two Moabite young women loved their mother-in-law. They absolutely loved her. Uh, The thought of leaving her hurt them. They were weeping. They didn't want to go back. They wanted to go with her. And, and what a testimony that is to Naomi, that these two young women, even though they're now widowed, and even though they didn't seem to have any future if they went with her, but yet they were willing to do that, and they wept. The thought of parting with her caused them to weep. You know, there's lots of jokes about mothers-in-law, isn't there? I mean, that's the standard joke of stand-up comedians, isn't it, for years? But here is the, maybe the exception to the rule. Well, they actually had a wonderful relationship with their mother-in-law. They said, surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go. For I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons... Would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Ah. In her mind and in her heart, she's looking at all that has happened. And she's thinking, do you know what? We made an awful error in coming to this land. We should have stayed where we were and trusted God, but we didn't. And God's angry with us. This is what she's thinking. God's angry with us. And now, not only is he angry with me, not only is it hurting me, but it's hurting my two daughters-in-law. And it's grieving me that they're being hurt because of me. This is what she's thinking. This is what her heart was. This is how she's feeling. Then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Now, not to put Orpah down in any way, because we saw that she desperately loved her mother-in-law. We saw that she had wept, that she didn't want to leave. But when her mother-in-law put this to her and says, look, let me just phrase it my way. Look, you really have no future in Israel. And you have no future with me. I can't bear sons. Even if I did, you couldn't wait for them. You'd be too old. So tough. It would be too difficult. So just go back. And, And the more she explained that, then Orpah began to think, 
logically and think, do you know what, as much as I love my mother-in-law, as much as I was willing to go back with her and face whatever I had to face, but do you know what, I'm still young, and if I go back home, I have family back home, maybe I'll meet a nice young Moabite man, we'll get married, we'll have kids, because that's what I want to do. And then she decided, yeah, I, I think, I've, I've thought this through, and it's best for me if I just go back. And so she kissed her mother-in-law. She kissed her goodbye. And even though you probably couldn't blame her, because if you'd have been in that position, you'd have probably thought the same. But when she kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, she kissed goodbye to the greatest blessing that she could ever have by trusting God. She kissed goodbye to the best future she could ever have by trusting God. She kissed goodbye to the best provision that she could ever have by trusting God. She kissed all of that goodbye and she went back to Moab and she's never heard of again. We don't know if she ever met the man of her dreams, if she ever had children, we just don't know. And if she had, were they offered up to Moloch? She went back to her gods. And that tells us another thing. She went back to her gods. It meant that she hadn't fully embraced Jehovah, the one true and living God. Even though after all those 10 years of living with the Hebrews and hearing all the stories of Jehovah, because no doubt Naomi and Elimelech and Malon and Kelion told them about the father of their faith, Abraham, and how he trusted God, told them about Moses, the great deliverer from Egypt, told them about the opening of the Red Sea, and told them about Joshua, parting of the Jordan, told them all of the miracles and all of the provision of God, and yet hadn't really embraced this one true living God, and she went back to her old gods. She kissed Orpah, or Naomi goodbye. But notice that Ruth clung to her. Ruth was made of a different caliber. In Ruth's mind, she's thinking, I'm not going back. I'm done with Moab. I'm done with all of that. I'm throwing my lot in with Naomi. I don't know what's ahead. I don't know what options there will be. I don't know what my future holds. But I'm going to trust this woman, Naomi. I have watched her over these 10 years. And in spite of all that she's gone through, she's still going back to her God and her people. So I'm going to go too. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So she's, she's, does she really, really want her to go back to those gods or is she testing her? Is she, is she thinking in her mind? Is Naomi thinking in her mind? Do you know what? If you're going to go with me, it's not going to be easy because you'll not be able to join the congregation of Israel and you're a widow and you're a foreigner, and we have nothing, we're penniless. So maybe she was testing her to say, do you really, really want to do this? Do you really want to trust me and trust God? But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you. These are, these are some of the most beautiful words in Scripture. Entreat me not to leave you, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Naomi, I don't care if it's a clay brick building or a straw hut. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. 
I don't care of nothing. Should we live in a little hut in the middle of the field, if that's where you lodge, that's where I'm going to lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Now, up to this point, we see that, that Orpah hadn't accepted and embraced Jehovah, the one true living God, the God of the Hebrews. And up to this point, it would seem like neither had Ruth either. But she had been watching, and she had been impressed, and she had seen the testimony of this family, and she had got to this point now where she has made her choice and decision. Your God will be my God. If you like, if we could put it into modern terms today, this is the point where she gets saved. This is the point where she came to the Lord. Your God will be my God. I'm done with those other gods. I'm done with Moloch. I'm done with Chemosh. I'm done with Ashtoreth. I'm done with all of those pagan gods. I'm finished with them. They never did me any good. But I'm going to go with your God. I'm going to trust your God. And where you die, I will die. So in other words, I'm never going to leave you. I'll be with you to the very day you die. And there will I be buried. Even when you're dead and gone, I'm not going to go back to Moab, to those other gods. I'm going to stay with your God and your people, and I'm going to be buried where you're buried. The Lord do to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. You know, whenever you come to Christ, that ought to be your attitude. That you're not just trying this to see how it's going to work. That you make this decision, this is for life. This is for eternity. This is for all of my future. I am going to go with you, and I'm going to die a believer. That's the attitude that we ought to have if we turn to Christ. It's not something we just test and try and see how it goes. No, no, no. We make up our mind. We're fully persuaded that this is the right thing to do, and we're going to follow through with it. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. She stopped trying to talk to her anymore about going back. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And so that implies that Naomi had been well known in the city, her and her husband, and, uh, and had been well liked and was popular. Her name was pleasant and she probably was very pleasant by nature and she attracted people you know, she was sociable. So everybody knew about her. And all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, notice what the woman said, is this Naomi? Question mark. Is this Naomi? Ah. She didn't look like the same woman that they remembered 10 years ago. All of that grief, all of that sorrow, all of that pain and that hurt and all of this feeling that God's against me, it obviously had taken its toll on her. She obviously had aged a lot in those 10 years. You know, people that go through much in life, people that go through awful, difficult seasons in life, sometimes it shows up physically, doesn't it? They're worn out. Particularly people with grief. Grief can wear you out. And this woman had three times of grief. So they said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi. 
Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. So why do you call me pleasant, Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? Ah, Naomi. Naomi, Naomi, Naomi. Poor Naomi. Here she is. She's broken. She's browbeaten. She's beat down. She's lost everything. She hasn't got a penny to her name. Her land is all being sold. She's, she has nothing. She's coming back with no future, with no hope. She's got this young Moabite daughter-in-law, but what good is she going to be? It's not even a son-in-law. It's a daughter-in-law. Well, how's she going to help me in my old age? This is what she's thinking. And little did she know. While she's thinking all of that, God's thinking the opposite. God has got a great plan for her. God has got such blessings in store that she doesn't even know about. God has already been working behind the scenes, unknown to her. All the time she's thinking, God, you're against me, and God's for her all the time. You see, when we go through difficult seasons, sometimes you get the idea that God's against me. Because if it was for me, all these things wouldn't be happening. So he must be against me. In some way, maybe he's punishing me for my past or my sins or whatever the case may be. And all the time, God was planning good for her, blessings for her, a whole future for her that she didn't even know was going to happen. But God knew. And God brought them back. And notice this as we close. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. You know, whenever they left 10 years ago, they went to the wrong place, and it was the wrong time, but now they're coming back to the right place, and they're coming back at the right time because it's the beginning of the barley harvest. The whole stage is being set for them coming back, and they don't even know. They're thinking, I have no future, I have no hope, it's going to be tough, it's going to be hard, but they didn't know that God had made a way for them that they didn't even realize. And often in our lives, when we're going through difficult seasons, God's already planning for our future, and we don't know. And that's when we have to trust and believe in the goodness of God. So this morning, I'm going to have to leave this hanging here. I'm going to have to come back to this tonight, and I'll tell you why. Because it's the best bit. And I don't want to start it and have to leave you hanging in the middle of the best bit. So we're going to do the best bit tonight because this gets better and better and better, and you'll see Christ in this. This is the reason why this is... The next part is the reason why this is in the Bible, so that we can see Christ through the Old Testament. And it's wonderful. And how God blesses this family is tremendous and what he does. And it, and it encourages us as believers today how God blesses us and how Christ makes the difference to our lives. So God willing, we'll do this tonight, all right? I'm a little bit short this morning. You'll not mind that, sure you won't? Because sometimes it'll be a wee bit long. <laughs> all right, so we'll get a balance in the thing. And then 
we'll look at the second part. Don't miss tonight. I want you to come tonight. And let's look at it through new eyes. I know that you older Christians, you've read this a thousand times and you've maybe heard me preaching on it before. But let's look at it with new eyes. Let's see something different in it that maybe we've missed before. Do you know, I was thinking this morning, I was reading this again this morning. You know, it's only the 85 verses. You can read this in 15 minutes. And I've read it. Every time I read this story, I am blessed. And every time I read it, I see something different in it. And do you know what? I could preach this today, and if you would allow me, I could come back next week and preach an entirely different message. It's so full of riches. It's wonderful. That's why I love the Old Testament, because you can see Christ in it. Amen? Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.